Hello and welcome to the Modernizing Operating Models podcast, where we unpack topics of organization design from the front line. In this episode, we will be joined by a guest who will share the experience of redesigning an operating model with the support of consultants. More interestingly, we will cover how it fundamentally can bring different outcomes and results when working with consultants who, let's say, make it up as they go. It's easy in the consultancy world to claim a territory of expertise after having done one or two similarly typed projects. However, redesigning an operating model through org design methodologies really requires deep skill and many flight hours for effective and sustainable outcomes. By the way, these are not just claims from myself or OTM for that matter. This is what we hear time and time again from different leaders, agnostic of whatever industry they are in. Which is why we have this conversation where you hear firsthand from leader Tricia what it really takes from consultants to deliver a sustainable operating model. All right, let's dive in. We have a very special guest today. Um, I'm going to let um, Tricia introduce herself. Tricia, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Tricia Ingfer, and I am an org consulting professional. I've been working internally within um, a financial services industry based in the, the Midwest. Thanks, Tricia. How long how long you been doing uh, the job that you have now, Tricia, in terms of and doing design work internally? I would say that my my background um, within uh, human resources has always involved some level of aligning the organization to business strategy. So I would say informally, I've been doing uh, design work from. You know, for most of my career over 20 years. I've been in a role specifically focused on modernizing our organization's operating model for about, about almost five years now. Got it. Uh, what do you enjoy most about uh, what it is that you do? I really enjoy, I enjoy people um, and I enjoy really helping to create the conditions for them to, to be their best. And within a, an organization, that means understanding the organization's business strategy. Where, where are they heading? Um, what's the, the value that they hope to create within the world? And how do we understand what's, what's working and not working and then create stronger alignment within the organization to help the business achieve its results? And by doing that, creating, and through doing that, creating really the conditions for people to succeed and, and really um, help realize their personal value, um, their personal purpose and contributions to something that's greater. It's great. How long? I, how long have we known each other now? Probably five years, maybe. You we think? met. Uh, I would say right before the um, the pandemic, so two thousand. Probably, I guess that would have been the fall of two thousand nineteen. Like, I think it was nineteen, right? Two thousand nineteen. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah. I was probably one Gosh. of the last individuals to travel uh, <laughs> before um, all travel ceased in 2020, basically. That's right. You attended a math class yep. in yep. Phoenix. Yep, that's and, right. And um, at the end of that week, my partner Susan and I went on a uh, holiday. And the following Friday, they closed, everything closed down, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I got a call from my company saying I, they knew I was scheduled to travel and I 
I couldn't travel due to this little pandemic or COVID-19. And I said, well, I'm going to come home. <laughs> yeah, come home. Wow. Yes. Seems like light years ago in some ways and just yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, why don't you um, share with us some of your insights, if you don't mind, about um, uh, modernizing operating models and doing organization design work as an internal and uh, what do you think for you, in very practical terms, are some of the strengths um, uh, of doing it from an internal uh, perspective? And uh, um, yeah, go where you want to. I think that, you know, the strengths of doing it internal is all really built off of the fact that when you're by nature of the work that you're doing, when you're modernizing an operating model, you are introducing significant amounts of change. And so my number one um, word of wisdom to my to my teams, to the individuals I work with, is never underestimate the, the significance of the change that our work will create within the organization. And that's intentional. That is that is the work that we're doing. And and so the advantage as an internal consultant that you have is one really fully understanding the context in which we're, we're doing our work and um, and how and the, and the uniqueness of the organization in which you're doing it. And that helps you um, develop really tailored change management plans and or approaches. So I think there's there's certainly guidance in how to how to how to um manage the change along the way, and then being able to really understand the organization, the context in which you're doing it, I think is an opportunity, it allows internal consultants to do it more effectively. How I, think, I think also the continuity. I, mean, I think part of the, the change is pacing the change um, in, at a pace that the organization can tolerate. And oftentimes external partners are there for a brief time, whereas internal partners are able to um, stay and and provide that continuity this is what we intentionally designed and see over time what's working what's not working and make tweaks and adjustments along the way how does um knowing the knowing the players knowing your team members not only uh and your immediate team but those you're affecting who are you're affecting with change how does that help or hinder well, I think it helps in that you have uh, networks and you, you can understand who is going to be affected by the changes in a way that uh, information may not provide you. So you might, by knowing the networks and the, the relationships, and if you change this part of the organization, you'll be able to better diagnose any unintended or um, implied consequences of those changes. And, and then you can proactively engage with those individuals um, to bring them along in the change. So I think that if you don't have that knowledge of the, the, the networks and the relationships and all the connectivity across an organization, then you risk making a change in a silo um, with unintended consequences. Any other strengths um, as being an internal change agent, uh, an organization design professional? I think that it, um, 
you know, Mark, maybe you can kind of help me with the with the how to describe this. I think it's about building the capability of the organization. Uh, and and so I think that doing this type of work is is a phenomenal development opportunity. And it's um, and I think as an internal as an internal agent, you can build the the capability that will last longer uh, in the organization than if someone comes in, does it for you, and leaves. So that again, as as the as you we start to live and work within this new operating model, and we identify what's working and not working, then we internally can kind of quickly meet to realign and, and make adjustments along the way, so that. Um, you're continually maintaining the health of, of the organization. And I think you achieve that by building the, the capabilities. And I, I think that's unique when you're internal versus having an external person come in and do that. Seems like, seems like in your answer there, um, you have kind of two components. One was my interpretation of what you're saying, tell me if I'm wrong. Um, you're teaching your customers, internal customers, and those who are consumers of your services, Yes. How to fish in some ways mm -hmm. so that they're becoming smarter yes. as well. Yes. Is that right? I, I do. Yeah, I do. I think that as operating models are really becoming more agile, I think the intent is we, get, we have to, you know, to, to keep up with the speed of change in our external environments. Um, we need to be able to adjust faster. And I think one of the most effective ways to do that is to teach leaders to identify when things aren't aligned and then give them the confidence and the capability to create alignment sooner rather than, than later in order to maintain that modernized operating model. Yeah, the, the, you know, the power of alignment and helping leaders become more insightful about the choices they're making as leaders and what that means, um, intended, unintended consequences, how it aligns or misaligns. Yeah. All those things are, are really part of the equation. The other part of the capability I was thinking about is also is as you build your team and those around you who are helping you to um, deliver those services. Is, is, did you intend that as well? Yes, we did. Uh, and we and we continue to, to do that work and really focus on, um, you know, specific specific roles within our organization, teach them to, to diagnose the operating model. And, and, and um, oftentimes we will, business leaders will bring a symptom to their, um, hu their human resource partners and, um, and we will respond to the symptom without taking time to really look at the system and diagnose what might be causing the symptoms. And, and so we're really focusing on building that, that diagnostic capability so that we're solving for the, the issues and, and not covering and not the symptoms. Yeah. Rather than chasing symptoms. Um, what, um, what's the opportunities as being an in, in, internal change agent not so much looking at weaknesses, there's always trade-offs, but what do you think for you is uh, some of the bigger opportunities? You mean, like kind of more simply said, what are the downsides of, of being an internal consultant? Yeah, that, that's another way of saying it, but I, it's not always challenges. downside. It's something you may have to bolster, but yeah. Yeah, I think, 
I think it's still, you know, I, I think that and it's grounded in the the significance of the change that that might be occurring and working and knowing that these changes are ultimately led by driven by senior leaders in the organization. I think it's hard for them to have confidence in um, in their own internal talent to lead them through such large changes that it's more um, they feel more confident going to a big consul- consulting firm and having them come in and and lead them through those changes versus having someone internally uh, do it for them and with them. So, so you must see that yep. to some extent, right? Yes. Um, it, it, it's a funny thing. Um, it, it's it is a it is a funny phenomenon, and there's nothing exclusive to any one industry or any one company. But it it's everywhere, and it's global. That issue. Um, so, how do you how do you what do you do to get around that or work with that, if at all? I I think it's really under. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always a challenge. And, and so I think it is um, still being confident and, and bold with recommendations. So it's you're still having the courage to tell the senior leaders our recommendations and, and not backing down. Like if you want to do this and you want to do it well, this is how you go about doing it. And this is, and this is what it's going to take to do it. And yet also being flexible to recognize that um, we might need to adjust the the plan so that we would we still have the opportunity to work with the leader. So it's really balancing my belief that doing this work internally is often re- results in better outcomes than having someone external come in and do it. And so we might have to make some be flexible in, in how we go about doing it. Um, in order to to continue to have the remit to to do it and work with the senior leaders, I think it's also really important uh, to teach, uh, you know, to to educate and teach along the way, but in a really simple way, in in simple language and simple terms that the leaders can understand. I think that if we're too kind of academic or it sounds too theoretical, then leaders are going to be less inclined to, to do it. Any other, you said, downsides to anything else that you want to mention? And then I'm going to take you into another direction. I would say that that's probably the the, the largest um, opportunity that, we're, that we continue to face. I think the other... The other one, the other one is um, balancing kind of the time. So a lot of a lot of times, leaders want really accelerated timeframes with little little capacity to to move at the pace that they want, and it feel. And so I think an advantage that external companies might have over us is is the people working 24 hours around the clock dedicated to this project that they can move at a pace and speed that internally is more challenging for us. And so there's this perception that if you have people come in and do it externally, they'll do it faster um, than, than if we do it internally. 
to your first downside, I'm reminded of the old adage, you can't be a guru in your own backyard. Yes. It's, diff it's difficult to be that. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and the other one. So let's, let's pivot over to, um, I'm assuming, I, I'm making the leap that you've seen and you've partnered with external vendors as an organization design professional yourself. And I guess, what is it you see there that is both the challenge and the strength of doing that um, from your own perspective? I think that, you know, depending on, on the, the relationship and, the, and, the, and how we've contracted with the external partner to work together, um, the, there's a different strengths and, and um, challenges. I think that one of the strengths is, is when the OD team, the external OD team augments the internal team. So kind of speaking to that pace and capacity constraints that internal teams, we're, you know, we're small, typically centers of excellence, small. Uh, and, and so being able to partner with an external company as, as pure augmentation to the internal team uh, is, is of value. I think also the expertise. I, I, I think um, one of the downsides of being an internal consultant is you, is you have to work um, to really stay connected to the external environment up to speed on best practices, what are other organizations doing and working with external partners because they have other clients, um, they can readily provide you with that external data and information to help inform decisions and, um, and increase that uh, confidence in the, the senior leadership when they understand what our competitors are doing. Um, I think some of the, the downsides with the with external is uh, um, they too. Like I, I, so what I've experienced in, in my organizations, and it's not just the organization I'm currently with, other organizations as well, is still grounded in at the end of the day, what we are doing is introducing significant amounts of change. And whether you have someone externally facilitate that change or you have someone internally facilitate that change, it still is change. And people... Um, are, are humans, and 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 it seems like there is a, there is a limit to how much change an organization and, and leadership teams can tolerate, regardless of who is bringing mm -hmm. that change. And and so I we we kind of burn through um, several external consultants where we have this crew come in and, and do work with us. And then we move to this group and then we move to that group. So I've seen significant turnover, quite frankly, in the external consultants who are brought in to, to do the work. And my hypothesis is, again, it's it's really grounded in the change and, and the nature of the work we're doing, not as much about who's doing it. One of your previous points, you were talking about um, supporting um, in, internal leaders in, in, in your role. Um, and and um, I was thinking that two things can clash when you're when you're partnering or, or working or supporting or working in unison with an external vendor. One is how you do the work and how you believe actually change happens. I'm assuming uh, you and your team have a 
are not just a pair of hands. You're not just making decisions for a leader and doing those things. So the how this work is done. And the other thing um, that I was going to ask or, or point put on the table is when you see an operating model differently than a vendor partner sees an operating model um, and wondering how you reconcile those challenges um, as an internal internal practitioner. That's a really, that's a really great question. I think that, um, at least as an, as an internal practitioner in partnering with, uh, external organizations, it's really about kind of establishing a shared, a shared language. I, I do mm -hmm. think that what we do, there's, you know, it's grounded in decades decades of research. And, um, and so what we're doing is typically very similar. And, and so I start with establishing a, a shared language and understanding what's the approach and, and how do they think about op models and, and the changes and, and then establish a, a shared language. So at least we're talking um, in some using similar, similar language that how is where I really see a, a lot of the differences across internally how we do it and then how other organizations do it. So again, that reconciliation, I guess it sometimes I, I imagine it must depend if you're driving the project or yeah. if you're in a second position of supporting a project, right? I guess that's an important part of the equation as well, right? Yeah, I think that's that that is well said. Um, so if we're driving it, um, that kind of my my response fits more with if we're driving it and then if we're secondary, there's a another company driving the changes our role shifts. And, and so I, I really shifts to understanding what that external uh, partner is, how, how they're defining the operating model, and then doing a bit of a translation to how we talk about operating models within, within our firm. And so I still believe that our opportunity is to partner with these companies and um, help in order to help my organization achieve their benefits. And so it really comes down to focusing on like, what is, what is common and how do we start with where we're the same and, and where we agree and then help leaders within the organization understand where we're different or what gaps there might be and how we internally might be able to, to close those gaps. And if nothing else, at least um, flag, flag it as, as trade-offs in the approach that they're taking, the direction they're going. These are some, some of the trade-offs and whether or not they, they want to mitigate, mitigate them or not. I do feel like we've um, performed our role as, as far as highlighting those trade-offs in the approach. Got it. I was also thinking as you were speaking that um, connecting one of your previous points about the strength of being inside as a change agent. 
as you're educating customers internally, they're also becoming smarter about who they're looking to partner with as well. Yes. Do you see that playing itself out? Like almost the consequence of you being there and kind of being persistent, I'm sure in a loving way, but nonetheless persistent and and educating and informing. Do you see the downstream impacts of that in a positive way? I do. It's funny um, when you were asking me about the opportunities and challenges of being an external consultant and doing it internally. Um, I was going to jokingly say, I mean, part of it is I just it keeps me it keeps me busy because I I think um, you're there for the the long haul and able to create value on a day to day basis so that people will come back. Um, for for your advice and consultation and and so much of what I do in addition to leading significant op model work is consulting uh, with with leaders and other HR professionals on on what they're trying to do and and so that is a bit of the increasing confidence and quite frankly you know over the last five or six years we've gone from that revolving door of external partners coming in and doing this work to really, when we do have external partners, me and my team are, are leading those engagements more from, from an augmentation perspective than following their methodology. So it's a little more challenging for me to answer your, your questions because um, we've had that, that progress and, and I think success. Yeah, it's almost like, uh, well, it's be careful what you what yeah. you wish for, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I'm more than happy to teach other people how to do it, um, so that so that we can continue to get the benefits of of doing it well. Right. So, you, I, I'm assuming um, as you and your team's credibility increases, so does the demand. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I, I mean, I, I do owe that uh, a lot to to you and and our partnership with on um, the mark. Quite frankly, because I I remember when we were first contracting, uh, you asked me what success would look like, and I go, oh, really, decreasing our reliance on external partners to to do this work and increasing um, the internal team's engagement. And I, I do think we've, in high, you know, as we're sitting here chatting, I I do think we've achieved that. Oh, that's incredible. That's great. I'm delighted for you. So what's the what's the wisdom, I guess, you know, as you look at this longitudinally over time and um, where you are now, where you were, where you've been. Others who are listening to our, our podcast and what are some of the, the big wisdoms for you that, um, that you kind of carry and that you, you would like to espouse to other <laughs> practitioners? Uh, I, I would say in a lot of the, so my, my big ones I've already, one I've already shared is the just never underestimate the significance of, of the change. And that um, I do believe that engaging people in the change is more effective than, um, than taking a more top-down um, compliance-driven approach to implementing change. So, was that a hard? Was that a hard sell? It is. Um, um, and what is that hard sell about? But I imagine it gets some momentum once you get some wind behind your back. Yes. 
I was, it is a hard sell because, um, again, it, when for, for a variety of reasons, but knowing that, um, at least in the beginning of the design work, you're often working with senior leaders, um, and the senior leaders start to understand the, the future state and, and the define that future state and understand what the impact on individuals will be. It, it's hard for them to believe that you can engage people in redesigning their future, that, that you can objectively engage people in redesigning their future. So there is a tendency to really want to keep it small and contained because there is this lack of trust that individuals can engage in design work when they have something personal at stake. So there's, there's that resistance. And then I think that the balance of, with speed um, is, and I often think of um, your words, some like pay now or pay later from a change management perspective. And I think the temptation is often to pay later. And by that, I mean, they want to get through the design fast and implement the changes as quickly as possible, um, which is your, your pay later. Because if you get through design fast and you implement the changes more from a top-down perspective, then you will, you will work through the change management by managing resistance. And, um, and, and so you pay on the back end of it versus if you take a more participatory approach and you engage people in the design and they, they feel a part of it, that takes more time in the front, up front. Um, and, and so you're either going to pay in the upfront through a participatory approach and engaging people and communicating to people, or you're going to pay in the back end if you opt for speed through the design and decision-making processes. So that's, kind that's a of, tough one um, for, for leaders to have the fortitude um, to, to, to engage people for, for a variety of reasons. And it does require a certain level of vulnerability from a senior leader uh, to engage in, in these workshops and design sessions with um, people they lead. You know, it's funny. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've seen this, but a um, long, long time ago, I did a, a project for American Express very isolated project, but had two senior leaders who were quite uh, bold and courageous and they did something, but it was, and it was just a small kind of a function, um, but they went about it in a participatory way. And then everybody in the business said, what did they just do over there? That's what I want. I don't yeah. know what they did, but are you seeing that? You see that as you, as you kind of make things happen? Is, is that part of the strategy? Like start a fire and watch it burn? That is absolutely uh, part of the the strategy. Is we do have uh, is is really using the business areas that want to to take a, a participatory approach and and really focusing our time and effort with them, and and then that creates the opportunity of contrasting. Like people say, I don't want to do it like that crew. I want to do it like that team. And then we can talk about the um, differences that led to the preferred outcomes. And, and that creates more um, willingness to, to, to follow our approach. Gotcha. I've taken you kind of down into a rabbit hole or detail on one of your wisdoms that you want to espouse. Yeah. What might be, uh, you know, one or two others that, that, uh, that come to mind? 
think the other one, like my, my proud moments is when people say this back to me is really focusing on the work. Um, and, and so leaders, um, are really, and this kind of comes down to like the differences between op model and org design and structure and leaders really are often looking for that quick fix. And they think that restructuring and, and sort of rearranging the, the chairs around the table are an effective way to get the outcomes they, they want. And so uh, a lot of our teaching, coaching, and approach is focused on really, def, you know, the value stream and defining like what, how are we creating that? What's our competitive advantage? What value are we, are we creating? And then what's the work that we do in support of that value so that leaders um, do not focus as much on the, the structure and the, the people. And, and we save that for later on in the process. So I think the degree that when people bring problems, um, inevitably, I ask, "What's the work? Like, what are we? What are we trying to achieve? And what's the work that gets you there?" It, it's a funny thing, isn't the power of just focusing on the work? Yeah. There's some. It, it, it's almost like sometimes I think it's so obvious, yet it's so um, overlooked. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's kind of like when I, you know, you have a problem with your computer. And you, and you try to fix it and you call IT and they say, well, turn it off and turn it back on. I, sometimes I, I think my, I think my turn it off and turn it back on is telling leaders, well, look at the work. Like what's, what's the work? Uh, Cause they're always kind of like, oh. <laughs> but it's, it's fundamental. That's, that's really good. It's uh Trisha's turn it off, turn it back on moment. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, sometimes I feel like I have to have a, should have a placard on me like a sandwich board, you know, like advertising out on the street and just point to do it like, it, uh, what about the work or what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you know, one of, one of my wisdoms is, is, is really the, the work. I think the, the other one, um, is oh, I just came, I should have wrote it, wrote it down. It actually came to me and then, and then it left. Um, shoot. Oh, it's the benefits and trade-offs. So I think oftentimes when, we're, we're doing this work, we really focus on kind of the why, the benefits, what do we want to gain from this? What are we trying to achieve? And although we say it, I think we have an opportunity to really emphasize there is no perfect design and that um, based on your strategy, you will make these choices and these choices will get you that and they won't and they'll get you more of this and less of that. And I think that as practitioners, we need to be more clear about the the benefits and the trade-offs and and certainly design into the operating model ways to mitigate those those trade-off the trade-offs associated with the choices but be really clear these are the choices we made and why we made them so an example would be as, as we're trying to become a more matrixed organization um, and we're not clearly defining you know a matrix organization is going to get you this and it's going to cost you that. Um, and, and for example, performance management takes more time in a, in a matrixed environment. And, and so you can mitigate that. But then, but then trying to make performance management simple or faster um, actually starts to undo the design because now you're reinforcing other, other behaviors um, and, and you're not, not taking the time to reinforce the intent of, of the design. So... I, I you, uh, your example's a, 
is really about the power of the alignment of the star, right? Of all parts yep. of the star. Yep. And recognizing that the the trade-offs and the consequences on other aspects of the operating model that you may not foresee and really understanding that as you play those out and, and uh, what we say, play them out enough yep. to be able to say, oh, gosh, no, I don't want that. Or, yeah, yep. that's exactly what we want. Exactly. Exactly. And um, and not trying to fix it, like fix the trick. Because I think, you know, three months later, you're trying to fix the symptom. Well, the symptom is actually that I don't know why I'm playing on technology, but the system's working as designed. Um, and, and trying to fix the system, you're actually starting to undo the intent of the design. Right. Right. I'm out of questions. I don't have any other questions for you. Well, that's unusual for you. I know um, it's totally unusual. So um, I guess, you know, I'm just, I'm curious with this, this, your perspective on the internal versus external, what, um, what are some of the outcomes you've seen of or organizations either overly relying on internal or overly relying on external to do this work? Well, I, I, um, and, and for our audience, if, if it's not if it's not obvious to our audience here, I am an external practitioner. I will say, seventy five to ninety percent of our projects are always partnering and upskilling an internal cadre of people, and then we do the work together with actual real work share um, and 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 leading this work. I think that's I think. I think it optimizes both sides, um, you know, um, one or the other. So to your question, my bias is that there should always be that internal external partnership. Um, I, I think that I think the downside. Well, let me stay with the internal external partnership. I think it's critical to teach people to fish and be smarter consumers of what they're asking for. And gosh, when I started first started doing design work 30, 30 something years ago, I <laughs> <laughs> um, actually 1987 was my first design uh, experience. Um, you, nobody talked about operating models. Nobody talked about organization design. Forget that, right? Um, and now it's a it's a different world out there, and, and you'll have insight insightful leaders, and you actually you may have consumers who you may have people who were part of a design project early in their career who are now in leadership positions, saying we need to redesign the operating model. It's actually quite funny to see that, um, but I I think I think for us it's knowing what's the best way to use an inter an external provider. And what's too much? It's finding the right balance. Yeah, yeah. I think I, that's well said. Yeah. I, I think you can go overboard. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you can certainly go overboard uh, with a compliance based. We're going to we're going to show you what best practices are from other companies and here do this. Yeah. Um, I think that's a major mistake for from for, for uh, customers nowadays. Um and for companies to take that approach. But I also think on the other side is to be a really good 
internal practitioner, really effective, not good, really effective practitioner. Um, you need a you need a functional set of leaders who are going to have your back and going to and and really allow you to be the power of all you can be in the organization. Uh, and I and and I still see that as being Achilles heel yeah. in some organizations that we go into. Some not, um, but some that's still an issue that early on we're talking about. How do you get out of your? How do you get out of the way? of your uh, organization design, prof internal organization design professionals. So that's well said. Yeah. So I still see both those things, but, but less so. And, and I think the power and summary is really the internal external team in joining up. And I was really glad to hear you, you talk about that. Um, uh, and whether you're, whether we're, we're supplementing or driving, um, you, you know, in the end, it's all about how do we help this customer be successful and, and, and how do we, for us, it's how do we not move in there? We don't want to move in. We don't right. want to have desks there. We don't want to attach our, um, you know, attached to your business and never be gone. It's like, I thought those guys left years ago. <laughs> and I think that's the power of, of you being an internal practitioner is, you know, you can walk around a business, you can be in the cafeteria, right? And somebody goes, Hey, Trisha, I've yeah. been meaning to talk to you, you know, can you pop by my office at, you know, 315 today? And, you know, yeah. I, I imagine you must get that. So just you being present has, uh, is, I think is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That is an advantage. Yeah. It's As been always, fun. I enjoy learning from you. Well, I enjoy learning from you too. It's really fun to hear your successes. Yeah. It, it's really, um, it tickles me beyond, um, uh, uh, beyond that I can express to hear you being um, the success that you're having. And, and believe me, I know, um, you know, you have bangs now, but I'm sure you've got a few scars on your forehead from banging, from banging your forehead against the same thing. But yeah, most um, of my black sounds, eyes and bruised ribs have healed at this point. Yeah. Just flesh wounds, right. In the spirit of Monty Pythons, just a flesh wound. Flesh and my wound. guess is you've got a lot of tenacity about you um, yeah. as well. So, yeah, which is, I think one of the qualities of being a really good internal practice. Uh, change agent. So I want to uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending this 45 minutes, half hour, hour, whatever we've gone uh, with us. And um, uh, gosh, if there's anything we can do for you at On The Mark, please ask and consider me part of your network and and uh, and continue to go out there and do great work. I always have considered you part of my network. It's been a pleasure and you take care. All right, Trisha. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast platform and tune in next time for another engaging conversation on everything operating model and org design. Take care.